to Even Darker. I'm so glad you're here. Having always been fascinated by fairy tales, mythical creatures, mythology, folk tales, and legends, I wanted to create a podcast about these exact stories. In each episode, Chris Gordon, Jay Stinnett, or Damian Drake will tell us a story. Then I, Regina Drake, will review the points of the story I found most interesting, shocking, or downright unforgivable. Allow me to show you the origins of things even darker. Take heed, these are in the original early content, not the Big Mouse versions. No shade on him, but this is not for the young. For our 14th episode, I have chosen the Velvet Ribbon. This comes to us from Versailles, France. We don't know who originally told the story around circa 1790. Now for our story. The Velvet Ribbon There was a man who fell in love with a strikingly mysterious woman. He asked her every day why she had always worn a velvet ribbon around her neck. However, she never told him why. Finally, he asked her if she would take it off if he married her, to which she replied, I might, but you'll be sorry. Soon they were wed and he asked her every day if she would take off her ribbon. She always replied, You'll be sorry, you'll be sorry. Finally, fed up with her, he attempted to untie it himself, only to find that it had no beginning or end, like a collar of iron. He retreated and waited for her to go to sleep. When she was finally asleep, he took scissors and cut a ribbon in two, exposing her neck. Only, when the ribbon fell from the rest of her neck, her head rolled off. Horrified, the man ran away out of the house, all while the woman cried large tears and said, I told you you'd be sorry. The origin of this story is unknown, but believed to be influenced by the revolutionary times in France. One historic piece of information is France was looking for an efficient way to execute people. Dr. Joseph Ignace Guillotine invented the machine, which was later named after him. In my research, it said the good doctor hoped this method would eventually lead to the end of capital punishment. Well, it didn't, because it was still being used in the 20th century, only to be diminished in use around the 60s and the 70s. The last time it was used was 1977. The guillotine was outlawed in September 1981. Yikes. I never considered I could have been guillotined. But wait. Do you want to know what really caused it to be outlawed? In the 1970s, a two-foot-tall replica called Blade and Timbers was a popular toy in France. Kids used the fully operational guillotines 
to decapitate dolls or even small rodents. So the toy was banned out of the fear that they were a vicious influence. You think? (laughs) Another fun fact is the upper class used them for bread and vegetable slicers. Do you think these toys, the guillotine, was the precursor to the mandolin or a slicer in our kitchens? But wait, there's more. The Adventure of the German Student The story is set during the French Revolution and follows a young German man named Gottfried Wolfgang. On his way home to his apartment in Paris, France, on a stormy night, Wolfgang encounters a woman who claims to be without friends, family, or a home. She is described as wearing a broad black band around her neck clasped by diamonds. Wolfgang takes her back to his lodgings, where they declare their devotion for one another. The next morning, after temporarily leaving the woman alone, Wolfgang returns to find her as a corpse in his bed. The police are summoned, and one of the officers recognizes the woman as having been executed by guillotine the previous day. The officer undoes the collar around the neck of the corpse, causing the head to roll onto the floor. At the end of the story, the incident is revealed to have been recounted by the old gentleman with the haunted head, and is said to have been relayed by Wolfgang, who now resides in a madhouse in Paris. All right. This is a summary of the short story by Washington Irving, published under his pseudonym, Jeffrey Crayon. It was published in 1824 in his essays, Tales of a Traveler. This story inspired by the French tale of unknown origin, which we just listened to, and today can be found even in children's books. So we have the two characters, right? The woman and the man, and the woman is viewed as innocent. I don't agree with innocent. I would have called her detached from reality too soon. Talk about living on the edge. Too much research, right? Into guillotines and head chopping and, oh, the man. Now, he is the essence of human curiosity, which we all have. But his curiosity is shown to intensify each time he asks his wife about the ribbon, right? And she says, don't worry, I'll tell you later. Some consider him to be a villain because of his violent actions of, I guess, cutting the ribbon. I guess you'd consider that violence. Point is, he goes behind her back to satisfy his own wants at the expense of his wife. Mic drop. PTSD. I've heard this is being overused now. And after hearing myself use it for a fairy tale, maybe they have a point. I don't know about you, but the fairy tales about the dangers of curiosity as a child really affected me. There is a question I ask myself still to this day. Do you really want to know? Viewing the woman's character as innocent, I mean, she was guillotined. What was her crime? Even though the male is considered the husband uh, a villain, I mean, that poor guy ended up in a mental institution. Wow. What a scary story. 
As promised, now for even darker. The Goose Girl A widowed queen sends her daughter to a faraway land to marry. Accompanying the princess are her magical horse Falada, who can speak, and a waiting maid. The queen gives the princess a special charm that will protect her as long as she wears it. The princess and her servant travel for a time, and eventually the princess grows thirsty. She asks the maid to go and fetch her some water, but the maid simply says, If you want water, get it for yourself. I don't want to be your servant any longer. So the princess has to fetch water from a nearby stream. She wails softly, What will become of me? The charm answers, Alas, alas, if your mother knew, her loving heart would break in two. After a while, the princess gets thirsty again, so she asks her maid once more to get her some water. But again, the evil servant says, I will not serve you any longer, no matter what you or your mother say. The servant leaves the poor princess to drink from the river by her dainty little hands. When she bends to the water, her charm falls out of her bosom and floats away. The maid takes advantage of the princess's vulnerability. She orders the princess to change clothes with her and the horses as well. She threatens to kill the princess if she doesn't swear to never say a word about this reversal of roles to any living being. Sadly, the princess takes the oath. The maidservant then rides off on Falada, while the princess has to mount the maid's nag. At the palace, the maid poses as a princess, and the princess's servant is ordered to guard the geese with a little boy called Conrad. The false bride orders Falada to be killed, as she fears he might talk. The real princess hears of this and begs the slaughterer to nail Falada's head above the doorway where she passes with her geese every morning. The next morning, the goose girl addresses Falada's head over the doorway. Falada, Falada, thou art dead, and all thy joy in my life has fled. And Falada answers, Alas, alas, if your mother knew, her loving heart would break in two. On the goose meadow, Conrad watches the princess comb her beautiful hair, and he becomes greedy to pluck one or two of her golden locks. But the goose girl sees this and says a charm. Blow and blow, I say, take Conrad's hat away. Do not let him come back today until my hair is combed today. And so the wind takes his hat away, and he cannot return before the goose girl has finished brushing and plaiting her hair. Conrad angrily goes to the king and declares he will not herd geese with this girl any longer because of the strange things that happen. The king tells him to do it one more time, and the next morning hides and watches. He finds everything as Conrad has told. That evening, he asks the princess to tell him her story, but she refuses to say anything because of her oath. The king suggests that she might tell everything to the iron stove. She agrees, and climbs into the stove and tells her whole story while the king listens from outside. As the king is convinced she has told the truth, he has the goose girl clad in royal clothes. He then tricks the false princess into choosing her own punishment. While each choice is different in each version of the story, in the classic version, she tells the king that a false servant should be dragged through town naked in a barrel filled with internal spikes. As a result, she is punished in the same way until she dies. After that, the prince and the true princess are married and reign over their kingdom for many years. This story is from the Grimm's Fairy Tales, published in 1815. 
and was translated to English in 1826. I had never heard this story. So let's break it down. All right. I love the idea of the magical horse. Falada. Falada. Or falala. Talking horse. Couldn't help but think about the donkey in Shrek. So we start out with a talking horse and a talking special charm to protect the princess on her journey. What could go wrong? Well, plenty. The servant is in a snit from the very beginning of this tale. At first I thought, well, that's a bit harsh. But as the story went on, the princess is, well, a bit of a knob. Then those who were meant to help, the talking horse and the charm, just seemed to add salt to the wounds. Like it would break your heart, meaning the queen, to see you. What kind of help is that, Captain Obvious? The maid just takes Falada and rides off. He's a real help. The worst is, pretend princess, or the ex-servant, having the horse killed. Then, even darker, oh, by the way, nailed the horse's head to the doorway. I'm speechless. Having owned a couple of horses and growing up around them, I gotta say, a little sick to my stomach. And then Conrad. Want some of her hair? Ooh, bad look. He's just going to take it, actually. Then he goes and tells the king. And this king, he sure has a lot of leisure time to listen to the problems of the geese herder and then sneak about and hide and watch what happens. I hope I didn't offend anyone by saying the princess is a knob. But here's another example. Who climbs inside an iron stove? Not even Hansel or Gretel fell for that one. But all works out well, and the king believes her. To wipe out the distaste of Falada, the servant's wickedness comes back to her when she unknowingly chooses her own punishment by suggesting, for someone else, drag them through town naked in a barrel with internal spikes. Okay. I thought I was dark. This type of story is called the false bride plot. And now for our weekly installment of Pinocchio. Pinocchio, Chapter 10. Quick as a flash, Pinocchio disappeared into the marionette theater. And then something happened which almost caused a riot. The curtain was up and the performance had started. Harlequin and Pulcinella were reciting on stage and as usual they were threatening each other with sticks and blows. The theater was full of people enjoying the spectacle and laughing till they cried at the annex of the two marionettes. The play continued for a few minutes and then suddenly, without warning, Harlequin stopped talking. Turning towards the audience, he pointed to the rear of the orchestra, yelling wildly at the same time, Look, look, am I asleep or awake? Or do I really see 
Pinocchio there. Yes, yes, it is Pinocchio, screamed Polinchella. It is, it is, screamed Signora Rosora, peeking in from the side of the stage. It's Pinocchio, it's Pinocchio, yelled all the marionettes, pouring out of the wings. It is Pinocchio, it's our brother Pinocchio. Hurrah for Pinocchio. Pinocchio, come up to me, shouted Harlequin. Come to the arms of your wooden brothers. With another leap, he was on the orchestra leader's head. With a third, he landed on the stage. It is impossible to describe the shrieks of joy, the warm embraces, the knocks, and the friendly greetings with which the strange company of dramatic actors and actresses received Pinocchio. It was a heart-rending spectacle, but the audience, seeing that the play had stopped, became angry and began to yell, The play! The play! We want the play! The yelling was of no use, for the marionettes, instead of going on with their act, made twice as much racket as before, and lifting Pinocchio on their shoulders, carried him around the stage in triumph. At that very moment, the director came out of his room. He had such a fearful appearance that one look at him would fill you with horror. His beard was black as pitch, and so long that it reached from his chin down to his feet. His mouth was wide open as an oven, his teeth like yellow fangs, and his eyes two glowing red coals. In his huge hairy hands, he carried a long whip made of green snakes and black tats tails twisted together, and he swished it through the air in a dangerous way. At the unexpected apparition, no one even dared breathe. One could almost hear a fly go by. Those poor marionettes, one and all, trembled like leaves in a storm. Why have you brought such excitement into my theater? The huge fellow asked Pinocchio, with a voice of an ogre suffering from a cold. Believe me, Your Honor, the fault was not mine. Enough. Be quiet. I'll take care of you later. As soon as the play was over, the director went to the kitchen, where a fine big lamb was slowly turning on a spit. More wood was needed to finish cooking it. He called Harlequin and Puccinella and said to them, Bring that marionette to me. He looks as if he were made of well-seasoned wood. He'll make a fine fire for this spit. Harlequin and Puccinella hesitated a bit. Then, frightened by a look from their master, they left the kitchen to obey him. A few minutes later, they returned, carrying poor Pinocchio, who was wriggling and squirming like an eel, and crying pitifully, Father, save me! I don't want to die! I don't want to die! Oh no, this is definitely a story which brings out that when will the other shoe drop? It's like a feeling of dread just below the surface. And the shoe has dropped. Pinocchio is going to do a Joan of Arc. And there we are, back in France. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Even Darker. Please give us a follow, a like, anything. I want to thank Jay Stinnett and Chris Gordon for being our storytellers. Jay is writing a book, and I will post the links when it becomes available. Chris Gordon is doing a show on YouTube and can be found under the title of Denver Gamer. Please 
give him a follow. While I, Regina Drake, have two vampire books that can be found on Amazon. First one, Child of Darkness. Second, Quincy. Even Darker is made with Anchor and can be found on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. 